Hi everyone, my name is Serjan Vucetic and today I'm talking to Charles W. Mills, uh, one of today's most eminent social and political philosophers. He specializes in oppositional political theory around issues of class, race, and gender. He's written six books, by my count. Uh, his first book, The Racial Contract, has become a seminal text in the study and critique of imperialism, of white supremacy, and of liberalism. Uh, this po podcast is a follow-up to a wide-ranging interview I, I had the pleasure of doing recently with Professor Mills for International Politics Reviews, which is an IR journal, and uh, I'll keep it short. Uh, Professor Mills, uh, I'll simply ask you about your recent and future lectures. The first one is your 2020 uh, Tanner Lecture at the University of Michigan, Theorizing Racial Justice. In a nutshell, what is your argument there? Well, basically, what I argue, Surjan, is that um, we need, within liberal political philosophy, to argue in political theory, the sort of theory branch of political science as well, we need a principled theorization of racial justice. This is a subject of obvious importance in the world in general, and certainly within states that call themselves liberal, Western states, which have such a long history of racial injustice, one would like to think that the very importance of the topic would have you know, led to the stimulation of a large body of literature on the topic. But it's almost the converse. In fact, you could say, if you have left sympathies, it's not that surprising. These modern Western states were based on racial injustice, and so perhaps for the very reason racial justice is you know, one of the very last topics they want to raise. Anyway, so I had the opportunity to do the Tanner Lecture, and the title is Theorizing Racial Justice, and I'm basically using a modified version of contract theory. And social contract theory, after you know, about uh, 150 years of being in the part of the Western Museum of Theoretical Antiquities was spectacularly revived in 1971 by John Rawls's A Theory of Justice. And Rawls's book would go on to generate a large body of literature, um, people siding with Rawls, people critiquing Rawls on the left, people critiquing Rawls on the right, and also in a sort of you know, stimulating you know, other positions to take a stand, communitarian views, critical theories, etc., etc. Anyway, a striking feature of this literature across the liberal spectrum, left to right, within communitarianism, and even among critical theorists, those whose starting point is social oppression, originally inspired by the Marxist tradition, there's an almost complete absence of any systematic engagement with the history of European expansionism and what that history has led to, which is, of course, systemic global racial injustice. In the white settler states, you know, whether Anglo or Iberian, mm. or in you know, the former colonial world, or the former colonizing powers themselves, there is a sort of overarching commonality. And your own book, The Anglosphere, was very useful for me, both in terms of my own education and because it brings home this point so forcibly. Because one of the standard you know, representations within analytic philosophy um, you know, of how to sort of characterize this approach is the Anglo-American tradition in contrast to the continental tradition. And the Anglo-American tradition is in a sense the subject of your book, The Anglosphere. The Anglosphere is of course a treatment of the Anglo-American empires. So what we find vividly brought home is that the Anglo-American empires combined have been sort of in a main source of, one of the main sources of racial injustice in the modern world. So it would therefore follow 
that philosophers who think of themselves as being in the Anglo-American tradition would then make it one of their priorities to sort of deal with racial injustice and to look back at the history of these empires, you know, the British Empire, the American Empire, and not just history, but of course, ongoing present, sort of look at racial justice. And in fact, what we find is absolute converse, a virtually complete absence of this thing. So what I basically argue, and this is, this to a certain extent, is a change of position on my part, because I've been critiquing roles for years, but I now think that maybe the, act, the direction of my critique was somewhat wrong, because my thought had been, roles as apparatus can be used to deal with racial justice, but it's going to need a lot of modification. But roles did anticipate that his apparatus could be used to deal with racial injustice in racist societies. And the insight I had about two years ago, and of course it needs to be subject to peer evaluation and peer review, is that roles never meant his theory to apply to racist societies. Mm. It could extend to societies with racism, but not a racism so deep that would affect what Rawls calls the basic structure. And my claim is that you can reconstruct this from passages in his last book, Justice as Fairness, which then sort of makes sense of his earlier stipulation in a theory of justice from the very beginning, that he's basically talking about societies which can be conceived of, famous phrase, as cooperative ventures for mutual advantage with rules that benefit the whole population. And once you make this link between the sort of later characterization, the earlier one, you see how much complete sense it makes. Because a racist society cannot be thought of by any rational person as a cooperative venture for mutual advantage. So this insight, this light bulb, you know, going off in my head, I thought, wow, I might have made an actual philosophical discovery. And of course, we go into the, the academy in part, sort of try to make a contribution to the literature. So I hope that this will be one of my. Anyway, so my argument then is that we need to recognize that this apparatus was never really meant for racist societies. So we need to ask ourselves, how can you develop a model for theorizing race and racial injustice and this deep basic structure, Rawls' famous phrase, basic structure. And picking up on my earlier work, going back to racial contract, and also a book I did in collaboration with well-known feminist theorist, Carol Pavement, whose 1988 book, Sexual Contract, was my immediate inspiration. What I've argued is that rather than uses Rawls' contract, which is the consensual contract that everybody can get on board with, we need to recognize the actual contract is a domination contract, it's a contract of white supremacy. And the question you're faced with behind Rawls' famous veil of ignorance is in a different one. It's a question, if the veil is on a white supremacist state, and I'm a person of color, what measures of corrective justice would I want to see put in place to make sure that insofar as possible, I can you know, manage and flourish in this society rather than being permanently screwed? So Samuel Johnson's famous slang and the prospect of being black in a white supremacist society to concentrate your mind wonderfully. So that rather than having racial justice on the sidelines, as it is in mainstream social contract theory, it's then brought to center stage. So I then sort of you know, work this out. And then I, I climax the lecture, which is online. And also there's a printed version at University of Utah, um, you know, Tanner Foundation, so people can check on that if they like, because um, unfortunately, because they're running a bit behind, it's probably going to be some years 
before it's actually printed. Anyway, what I argue for is three principles of corrective racial justice and second class status for people of color and what I call racial exploitation and end racial disrespect. And these principles might not seem to have much content. The problem, sorry, not the problem, the um, reality is that once you ask yourself what they would mean in practice, it turns out that the implications are very radical indeed. So I'm hoping to have you know, gotten this on the rolls in agenda and that there'll then be discussion you know, on the subject and you know, we'll be able to have a, a political philosophy and a political theory that is less completely race blind than in the current body of, of work on these subjects. Is. Thank you so much, first of all, for mentioning my work. I mean, it warms my heart that not only you've read it, but cited it. Uh, it's what what pay me to say this, folks. Uh, I, I, I absolutely, absolutely did not see this coming. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. I should like to say that it was uh, at a seminar, political theory seminar uh, in 2004, I think, Professor Robert Gooding Williams came from the University of Chicago to give a talk on Du Bois as political philosophers, and your name came up. And, and I remember writing notes and, and it was it just reading your work opened all kinds of eyes for me. And then I ended up integrating uh, the racial contract in my dissertation, which became a book. So I owe you a debt of gratitude. Uh, so, so as you said, uh, the Tanner lectures are available on YouTube. There's the uh, essay version at the University of uh, Utah website. And I should also like to say that uh, the, the kind of uh, pre-lecture was available as an essay published in 2018 in Aristotelian society, if, if, yeah. I'm, if, if, I'm, if I'm correct, yes. So could you please uh, tell us uh, a little bit, uh, you, in the interview we did uh, for IPR, you mentioned that you've been invited to this big conference being planned at the yeah. no so, Notre Dame um, this September. 50 years, 50 years for a theory of justice. Um, those of us who were in grad school shortly after the book came out, oh my God, couldn't be that long, could it? Of course, some of us were really young. I was a teenager at my class, for example, so people shouldn't think I'm an advanced in the age guy or anything like that. Anyway, okay, so yes, they're going to Big Rolls Conference, 50th anniversary of the Year of Justice, and they're going to have scholars all over the world. And to my delight, um, maybe a bit to my surprise, I've been invited to <laughs> Elizabeth Anderson, a uh, well-known political class in the University of Michigan, mm -hmm. Thomas Shelby, we're not black philosopher of Harvard University. They've also been invited. And I think if everybody accepts, I and mean, I've accepted, the plan is to have a rose and race panel. Um, I hope it will not be concurrent panels, that um, you know, the panels will be, will be running in sequence. So everybody should be coming to the rose and race panel and not you know, going somewhere else. So anyway, assume that all goes well, we should then be able to have a really interesting discussion. Because presumably part of the point of a 50th anniversary conference is both looking back and looking forward. So looking back at reception of roles over half a century, what influence the book has had, many translations, perhaps some of the critiques. And then the question of, you know, where does one go from here? Is roles still relevant for the world? Is it the case that in the roles that was, you know, sort of taken up by mainstream white political philosophers was never that relevant because of this initial failure? sort of ongoing failure to use race. And crucial question, can Rawls or Rawlsianism be retrieved? So I assume it's quite possible that some people would argue that social justice is better handled, let's say, in the framework of um, maybe somebody like Amartya Sen, mm -hmm. 
Iris Marion Young. In other words, there are sort of different possibilities and one shouldn't think that world is the only one. So maybe for a combination of reasons that are not that you know, um, intellectually respectable, the main one being sunk costs. And others have been doing this for a long time. Now it's too late to get off the train. I'm going to be defending the position that you can modify roles and framework, as mm -hmm. I just said in sort of previous part, to you know, handle these issues of racial, racial justice. And my claim will be that one of the very valuable things in roles is this idea of the basic structure. Mm -hmm. And the argument that, you know, in um, raising these questions of social justice, um, we need to sort of recognize the reality of the extent to which people's lives are shaped by social structures. And for anybody on the left, such as, you know, you, you or I, this, of course, is no great insight. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, in the United States, this is very much antithetical mm -hmm. to the way that many Americans think of the world. You know, there's very much a bootstrapping ideology. Mm -hmm. you know, basically, you can make it if you try hard enough. If you have not made it, this is prima facie evidence that you did not try. So the idea of structural determination mm -hmm. of the fact that you know people's lives are in a shape to a large extent by factors outside of them, this is very you know, um, very much out of keeping with the national ideology. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, Rawls has given us a very progressive analysis, an analysis very continual to the left. But the problem is, as I said, that the way he conceives of the basic structure, it's in a very idealized way. So what I want to do is to say, Look at the components. Rawls has the basic structure to include the constitution, legal system, you know, economic structures, the family, and then ask the simple question: What does a racialized basic structure look like? Mm -hmm. This is a very alien question in Rawls and tradition because you know the whole body of work is focused so much on ideal theory, which is not just normative theory; it's a normative theory of a perfectly just society. A racist society is obviously not a perfect just society. So these questions are conceptually excluded from the very start. So let's move the debate um, solidly into the realm of non-ideal theory. And bear in mind, and this is something that you know you often have to remind Rawlsians, Rawls himself says in the opening pages of a theory of justice that the issues of non-ideal theory are the really important ones. It was never the case that ideal theory was supposed to be an end in itself. Rather, the point of ideal theory was to create the theoretical foundation to go on better equipped to deal with non-ideal theory. Whereas what in effect has happened for you know, most of this past half a century is that many Rawlsians have been quite you know, content to sort of follow ideal theory, sort of pursue ideal theory mm -hmm. as an end in itself. So given that Rawls himself in you know, a sort of saw ideal theory's role as instrumental, we then ask the question, well, okay, if you're really concerned about non-ideal circumstances, and Rawls used the phrase pressing and urgent, which of course is very true, then let's ask, what would a non-ideal racialized basic structure look like? And mm -hmm. here, of course, this gives us a conceptual opening to the social science literature. Vast amount of you know, very useful material in sociology, political science, economics, and so forth, on you know, how racial hierarchies are established, maintained, and consolidated. And for the most part, with honorable exceptions, I mentioned Elizabeth Anderson's book, Imperative Integration, for the most part, this literature is just completely ignored. So we would now have a social justice theory that, you know, amazing, amazing, 
actually deals with societies as they are, rather than sort of fantasize societies of an ideal theory of rationalism. So that's the line of argument I'm going to be taking in my own contribution on the panel. Let's sort of, you know, have a need to look back at this half a century of roles and race, very unsatisfactory half a century. Let's develop a role cynicism within the next few decades in which we work with the concept of a racialized basic structure, which of course was brought vividly, not merely to national, but global attention with, you know, the, the protests against George Floyd's death, not merely in the US, but across the world. And say, look, it's an illustration of the very point Mm -hmm. People across the world in the Floyd's death resonated both because of racism against blacks in, in his own people's countries and against racism in, in, um, in, in other nations, you know, against um, other oppressed groups also. So the idea of a racialized basic structure is not at all mm -hmm. distinctive in the United States. It's pretty well a global problem. So let's recognize this and then turn the apparatus to a positive progressive ends rather than the essentially navel-gazing exercise, navel-gazing, thumb-sucking exercise that ideal theory has been for the past half a century. Thank you so much for clarifying what's at stake uh, in, in this very important conversation uh, within, but also outside and beyond Rawlsian thought. Uh, I'm heartened that you, you're, you got invited to this conference and also that you're not the only one who will be talking about the thematic ab absence of racial justice. Uh, so that's that's really great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I will uh, also say this on behalf of International uh, Politics Reviews. Uh, this interview, as I said, is definitely a highlight of my year. And uh, thank you so much for your time and your generosity uh, in general. And uh, thank look, you so much for the interview. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Th thank you. Thank you.